Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Sports Garden Network Podcast. Your source for sports entertainment. Incredible sports wagering intelligence. Welcome, sports fans. This is Wagering Week. I'm Tom Barton. That's right. We are Wagering Week. Facebook and Twitter is how you get in touch with us. 855, the number 4, G-A-R-T-E-N, iTunes, iHeartRadio, any of our fine syndicated affiliates. And if you do go to the social media handles, you can always give us a hashtag, hashtag SGN, to find out all the things going on with SGN and the Sports Garden Network. We have a huge show coming up today. Absolutely have to get into both of the playoff series. Look, Series 1, okay, uh, when we're talking about last Saturday and Sunday, there were seven, seven Game 7s. Unbelievable, and most of them in the NHL did not disappoint in the NBA. Well, that's a whole nother conversation we will have. So now we're on to Round 2, and Round 2 looks almost as good on paper as Round 1, maybe better in some instances. We will get all into the NHL. We'll get all into the NBA. We also... Look, we had the NFL schedules come out, so that means week one numbers are out. So we're going to talk about week one numbers in the NFL as well. We'll go over everything that you need to look at, what lines I'm already taking a peek at. So let's get right into it right away, and let's talk about the Game 7s. I mean, the NHL absolutely just dominates the field. They had an unbelievable, unbelievable weekend. From a fan's perspective, it was just one of the best weekends that you could ever imagine. It really was. I I can't overstate how good things were when it, for any hockey fan. I get it, if you don't like the team that won, that's always... But just as a general hockey fan, on Saturday, we had the Hurricanes with a 3-2 winner over the Boston Bruins. A one-point winner. One goal. That's it. That separated them. That was a Game 7. Home team won, home team advanced, and we got an under. The Lightning Maple Leafs. The defending champs came up absolutely huge. They won 2-1 over the Leafs in the Toronto. I know, look, it was a terrible situation. You saw Mitch Marner crying. Okay, but again, we had a one-goal game. The road team won here. The underdog won here that probably people would argue shouldn't have been the underdog. And we had another under. The Oilers held court at home in the late game. The Oilers won 2 2-0, a scoreless first period. The Oilers led 1-0 going into the third. So although this is a two-goal deficit, look, it was only two goals, and that's the only two goals that were scored, and it didn't get scored until the third period. Another tight game, a, a home team, favorite, home favorite. They were minus about 170 in this game, uh, minus 180, depending on where you're looking. And the Oilers went under. So we had three game sevens on Saturday. 3-2, 2-1, 2-0, all tight games, and all unders. Yeah, game sevens, 
tend to be really good defensive battles. And we talked about it. I mean, if you really wanted to get into defense and just say game sevens, I'm always taking the defense, I'm always taking the unders, you would have done quite well. Now, on Sunday, the Rangers came back, came back, came back, and kept battling, and they win this 4-3. Now, that game did go over, and you can, depending on where you were looking, the Rangers were about a minus-120 favor in that one. The Rangers move on. That's the only game that went over, and it took overtime to get there because the Calgary Flames won in overtime as well. 3-2, to two, that game went under, and the favor covered there. So over the course of the seven games, we had five seven games, five game sevens. Four of them went under, right? Four of them went under. The home team won in Calgary. The home team won in New York. The home team won in Edmonton. The home team won in Carolina. Four home teams, one road team. Well, the Hurricanes, the Oilers, the Rangers, um, and, and Calgary were all favorites. Four favorites won and only one underdog, which was the Lightning. So the Lightning kind of put through a monkey wrench into a, a few things, and that Rangers over. But basically, we had four unders out of five games. We had four home teams out of five games. We had four favorites out of the five games. So let's now take a look at what we have coming up for this week. And you start to look at, uh, look, uh, when I'm recording this, um, game ones have already gone off. The Lightning, who should probably not have been an underdog last uh, game seven. The Lightning come out against the Panthers. They were a big underdog here. They were minus, uh, the Panthers were minus 180 in this. Uh, you could get plus 165, plus 170 from the Lightning, depending on where you're looking. Minus 180 in game one. They were minus almost two to one for the series. And we're talking about the defending champs. Somehow or another, nobody is giving Vasilevsky the credit that we're, he deserves. Nobody is looking at this Lightning team and saying, yeah, they're their team to beat. I know Florida was the President's Trophy Cup winner, and you have to, look, you have to uh, give them a lot of credit for that, and you've got to favor them in this series. But guys, wow, let's take a look at this and just think that the Lightning are a tough team. There's a rivalry. It's inside of their own state. They know them well. They have the experience. Vasilevsky standing on his head right now. I don't think that that line, and I didn't touch this game because that line was out of control. I couldn't believe it. I don't think we'll see another line like that again. Not in this series, not against the Lightning. Also, the Avalanche had some trouble with the Blues, and I wait, say had some trouble. Well, they had some trouble with one guy, the goalie for St. Louis, who stood on his head the entire game. The Avalanche at one point had 50 shots on goal. Reminds you of the Stars series where they shot 60 on goal on Ottinger, right? Uh, but the Avalanche do survive. They they get by. The Blues scored the first goal. Uh, the Blues also tied it. There's some fight in this Blues team, and I told you before last series, I liked them. I took them plus 140 to win the first series. But there was no way they would beat the Avalanche. So Avalanche came in at minus 425 for the entire series, and they were minus, depending on where you were looking, about 210 or so for game one, which I thought was some value for Colorado in game one. If you're minus 400 for the series and you're minus 220 or so, or 210, 220 on game one, you're getting some value because they are at home. Well, now this game evolved where, oh, wait a minute. You know, you look at this and you say, the Avalanche... Well, the Avalanche uh, barely survived. Oh, the Blues, you know, they're that up-and-coming team. Maybe it's going to be close. Nope. Lines makers in the public don't believe that hype because the line is now minus 250. 250 for Game 2. Avalanche at home. Again, 
I still see some value on Colorado. I know it's a high line. I don't expect Colorado to, again, Colorado in that game, the Avalanche in that game had 50-plus shots on goal. The Colorado Avalanche tied a playoff record by hitting the post so many times. They hit the post five times. Five post shots. So they are inches away from not only winning that game with ease, but kind of dominating and humiliating the Blues. Do you believe that Bington is going to stand on his head again? No, I don't think so. I think there's some value on Thursday night with Colorado minus 250. Now, when you go back to St. Louis, the line will probably dip under 200, 190. Uh, maybe maybe it'll go to 200, depending on how game two plays out. But 190, 180, and a lot of people are going to pull the trigger on the Blues. My only thing is this. Don't read too much into game one. They came out in this series, guys, minus 400, 425 upwards of, depending on where you're shopping. Okay, so you're looking at this as where they're supposed to dominate this series. They're supposed to almost get a clean sweep. I think St. Louis might steal a game. And game one, uh, game three, and game one in St. Louis will be that spot where people go out there and they take that shot. I will not be one of them. I mentioned that the Florida Panthers would not be minus 190 again for game two, but they're still a pretty hefty favorite at minus 160. I can tell you this. There's not a lot of times where I go out on that limb and I try to get kind of like clickbait conversation going, but if the Florida Panthers lose game two, the series is over. That's my my out on a limb. Uh, <laughs> probably not too far of a limb. So minus 160, well, you can look at this two different ways. The Lightning were underdogs in round one. The Lightning against Toronto probably shouldn't have been underdogs. The Lightning were underdogs in game seven. Vasilevsky standing on his head. Game one, the Lightning come out and they don't win. They absolutely dominate the Florida Panthers. And you could say, well, I'm getting like 140, 145 back with the Lightning? Oh, I got to take that. That's your immediate reaction. But I'm also looking at this and saying, look, if you thought that Florida could hold court in this and could hold up and could win this series, which I think a lot of people did think. I certainly did. And if you believe that, well, you're getting a price tag that went from 190 to 160 and now a must win and you're still at home. I sort of look at the Florida Panthers on Thursday night as kind of that team that you look at and you go, yeah, I think that there might be some value on them. There might be some value. So, That's how you have to kind of evaluate all of this moving forward. I never believed that the Florida Panthers were going to have an easy road here. I always believed that Florida was going to win this game in six or seven. I thought Florida was going to be tough. Vasilevsky is just just fantastic. I mean, he's the best goalie that we've seen in a very long time uh, on a consistent basis. It's three, four years running. He's the best goalie in the league. You can argue Igor for this year, but overall, I mean, Vasilevsky's right there. You look at them, and and I I think it's going six or seven, but this might get away from them if they don't win on Thursday night. You look at Colorado. I said, maybe I'll give St. Louis a game, but I got to see how the series goes. You know, watching game one, there's nothing to tell me St. Louis could steal a game here. I certainly won't be betting against St. Louis in game one on the road, you know, game one at home in St. Louis. I'm not going to bet against them there, but I'm not going to bet on the Avalanche. Game two, I think I might. Calgary against the Oilers. I thought Edmonton, you know, had a real shot at this series. And I've talked to people throughout that think I, I think they, they, they think I'm nuts. My whole argument, and I've mentioned this before on the show, is that since Edmonton made a coaching change, they're the third best team in the league. Since Edmonton made that change, they are playing a different style. They play good defense. And we talked about this with the Kings. The Kings 
were supposed to be, and they were dubbed as the defensive team in the series. The Kings were supposed to be that defensive stalwart. And Quick played really well. But let's not forget, in the 2-0 game, the reason why I went so heavy on the Oilers, and for those that don't know, not only did I take the Oilers for the series, I took Oilers for Game 7, I took McDavid for a point, I took McDavid for over for uh, the the uh, goals. I, I, I went crazy because I said, there's no way that the best player on the planet, which is still Connor McDavid, there's no chance that he's going to allow this team to lose. But it wasn't just McDavid. And what will be lost through that series, now going into this Flame series, what will be lost with all of that is the idea that Connor McDavid is going to, to be up there. He's going to be pumping his fist. We're going to see the great shots. What's going to be lost is Smith played really well. Smith pitched a shutout in a game seven. Now go back and listen to all the games I just talked about. He's the only one to do it. Smith pitched a shutout in game seven. This defense held the Kings down. Now, the Kings are not an offensive explosion to kind of team. They're nothing like the Flames. I get it. But you've got to feel good about the Oilers in this series that the Flames want to play defensive games. In the Flames, by the way, seven-game series against Dallas, the losing team never had three goals. So in every single game over that seven-game stretch between the Flames and Dallas Stars, there was a lack of offense by the losing team. Every single time that the Flames won, they kept the Stars to two goals or less. Every single time the Flames lost they were kept to two goals or less. That's something that I don't think that the Oilers want to get into, that kind of defensive battle. But they're saying, you know what? If we have to, we can still win those games. And that confidence builder is something pretty huge. You look at the Flames, they got what they needed at the end. They faced, I mean, they they shot 60-plus shots on goal in Game 7. And Ottinger just could not be beaten. But Johnny Gordeau, who I called out on the radio, I called out on the air, and I said, you know, he's got to be the one to step up. He absolutely stepped up. He stepped up. He got the final shot. And now this Flames team that went through a streak this year where they looked like they were the best team uh, in the league, where they went through a streak where they just continued to win and win and win, now they have home ice advantage. They also have the idea in their head, look, we put 60 shots on goal. It was a frustrating night, but at the end of the day, we still got the win. If we could beat Ottinger, we could beat Smith. That's got to be the feeling. Uh, Johnny Gordeau has got to be sitting back and saying, you know, I might have had a, a subpar series, but I scored the winning goal. That's got to give you some boost up there as well. Here's another series. Uh, look, the Avalanche, I think, is going to be a sweep, if not five games, okay? I think Tampa, Florida can go seven. Here's another series. Oilers, Flames, I think could go seven. And I tend to think it not only could, I tend to think it will go seven. And then in a game seven, do you want to bet against the Flames at home? Or in a game seven, do you want to bet against Connor McDavid? So I do think we have a possibility of a round two being almost as exciting as round one because we have such a tight series, which brings me to the Rangers and the Hurricanes, which I expect to absolutely be a tight, hard-fought, bang-it-out kind of series. Carolina in game one, minus 175 they were. For the series, they are a massive favorite. And I just look at the Rangers, and you have to wonder from a public perspective and a betting perspective, when you're talking about the Rangers, you have to wonder to yourself, and you have to wonder out loud. Is Igor Shashankin the guy that we saw all year long that not in one single month allowed more than 24 goals? Is Igor the guy 
that stood on his head. Is Igor the guy that's up for the best goalie in the league and should win that hands down? Is Igor the same guy that's in net that is going to be, was just named one of the top three finalists for the MVP. He's not going to win it, but he's going to be in the top three finalists for the MVP. Is Igor that guy? Or, I just mentioned, he hadn't allowed more than 24 goals in a single month at any month this entire season. Well, he allowed 25 goals in the series that they just had. He allowed 14 goals in two games. Well, the Rangers allowed 14 goals in two games, back-to-back games against Pittsburgh. Igor Shashenko was yanked. He was yanked out of three consecutive games for the Rangers. But game seven comes around. He played really well. Don't only look at the three goals there because, number one, one of the goals is a clear stick over the goal. The announcer said, everybody said, it was obvious, okay? The next came on a breakaway, a fluky, shorthanded breakaway that really was not Igor's fault. I think Igor played really, really well. In that, and especially that last game, the Penguins outshot the Rangers. The Penguins had the momentum. I think Igor played really well. So you go, is Igor back? Is he back to being that guy? And then you go to Panarin. And Panarin had a subpar series. I mean, Kreider had a good series, and Fox had a good series. Uh, but Panarin had a subpar series. But it ended in the most magnificent way that you could ask for. Panarin had a subpar series where there were New York papers and radio hosts questioning him. Is is he is and it was always him and Igor. Are the bright lights too much for the playoffs? Are they bowing to the pressure? Can they not get this done? These were the questions that were being asked, guys. These were the questions that were being asked about Panarin and Igor. Igor comes up in a game seven and puts together a pretty nice effort. Panarin shoots the overtime winner. And it means so much more than just the win. For both of these guys. Because they had to be doubting themselves. Igor getting yanked after the season he had. Getting yanked in playoff games. Had to hurt him. And it wasn't, by the way. It wasn't just Game 7. It wasn't Igor came out in Game 7. And just all of a sudden everything clicked. No. In a crucial Game 5. In a go-home Game 6. And a go-home Game 7. He won them all. He won all of that. So it's not a one-time fluke. Panarin, here you go. You might have had a bad series, but you just had one of the greatest Ranger moments in the history of the, this storied franchise. On the other side, you have the Hurricanes. And the Hurricanes are saying, hey, we just can't lose at home. Yeah, we took on Boston, but Boston is experienced. Boston had a lot of big-time names on that team. They know how to win. And we lost in Boston. Hey, it's a tough place to play. Right? I mean, the Garden's a tough place to play. Not, no matter what you say, that is a tough place to go into and to win. But so is Carolina. And we proved that we could go out here and we could win on our home ice at any given time. You also have to look at Carolina and say, we're the number one defense in the league. Now, the Rangers are the number one defense. Uh, I'm sorry, the number two defense in the league. So you got one against two. This series, to me, really does come home. It doesn't come to home ice advantage. It really comes down to one man. Now, the, the Panarin story is a good story, and he does have to step up, but I think you could win with Panarin being so-so. If Panarin steps up his game, and he's the Panarin that we watched all season, Carolina doesn't have a chance, okay? But you could deal with Panarin being so-so because you have Kreider, because you have you have different options on the Rangers that can score and can move the puck. 
But this all, this entire series is about one man. And it's Igor Shashankin. If, if he is the guy that we saw in games two, three, and four in Pittsburgh, the Rangers are going home in four. Rangers aren't winning a game. Carolina's too good. Carolina's defense is too good. You're not getting cheapy goals. Yeah, the Rangers aren't winning a game if he's that guy. But the track record of the year says that if Igor is the guy that is going to be the top three in the MVP race, if Igor is the guy that's going to walk away with the best goalie in the league, if Igor is the guy that we watched in not only Game 7, which was the highlight moment, but also in a crucial Game 6 and a crucial Game 5, if Igor is that guy, I don't think the Hurricanes can win. So you look at all these series, and outside of the Avalanche, Rangers-Hurricanes... This is going to be a long series. I think that we're going to see six, maybe seven. Flames-Oilers, this is going to be a long series. I think we might see six or seven. The Avalanche, we're not going to see six or seven. At least I don't think so. And the Lightning-Panthers, well, game two is going to mean everything, but this could go six or seven. So we're starting to kind of look at round one was fantastic, but guys, I think round two is going to be pretty awesome. All right, let's take a quick timeout. Come on back. When we get back, we're going to go into our segment number two. We're going to talk a little NBA. They had a bunch of Game 7s as well. It didn't go as beautifully as the NHL. Uh, quite a few blowouts there. We're going to get into that. We'll get into whose legacy has hurt the worst. We'll get into whose legacy really took a step up and who I think is really going to win the championship as we reset things right now. All right, we'll be back right after this, right here on Wagering Week. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. And now back to Wagering Week with Tom Barton. I'll bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. No way. What are the odds? What are the odds? Well, the NBA season isn't over. It's only round two, but I have the odds for next year's championship. The Brooklyn Nets come in at plus 450. So despite all of their failings this year, they are leading the charge. The Clippers are plus 550. Despite all of their failures this year, they are leading the charge in the West. Golden State and Boston both come in at 6-1. to one. The Suns plus 650. Milwaukee Bucks are 7-1. to one. Miami 11 to 1, the Sixers are 14 to 1. Dallas is also 14 to 1. Memphis and the Denver Nuggets are 20 to 1. The Lakers are 22 to 1. The Utah Jazz are 40 to 1. Toronto Raptors and Pelicans are 50 to 1. The Chicago Bulls are 55 to 1. The T-Wolves are 70 to 1. The Trailblazers are 80 to 1. The Hawks are 90 to 1. The Cleveland Cavs, Charlotte Hornets are both 100 to 1. The Knicks and Spurs are 200 to 1 and the Washington Wizards pulling up the rear at 250 to 1. That is, what are the odds? I find it kind of funny that two teams that didn't make the playoffs this year are the leading <laughs> for each each conference. The, the Nets 
and the Clippers are leading the way when we're talking about the odds. Really interesting. I, I don't see anybody massive value. I mean, the Cavs at 100 to one is they're gonna get some play. Um, people are gonna get in on them just because they had a good year, and it's 100 to one. People will probably jump on the Bulls at 50 to one. Uh, I kind of like the Pelicans. I mean, you think about what the Pelicans were after the McCollum deal. They were a top 10 defense. They were a fantastic team after that McCollum deal. And then if you say, well, Zion might be back, I think 50 to 1 on the Pelicans makes some sense. I don't think you could go on. I don't think you'd go on a lot of these. Memphis is 19 to 1, 20 to 1 in some spots. That's an interesting one. I'm not touching the Sixers. Uh, Bucks at seven to one are always, and then everybody else. You know, I mean, Dallas is fourteen to one. Dallas will be interesting if they advance. I mean, they could be fourteen to one. That's going to go down and down. The Pelicans at fifty to one are, are the team that I'd be taking a peek at. That's the team I would start taking a peek at and saying, yeah, that makes makes a little bit of sense. The Pelicans at four uh, at, at fifty to one, just because they had a good defense, they really performed well in the playoffs overall. If you really want to look at what they did. If McCollum comes back, I mean, look, to me, that, that's the team. 50-1, to 1, you want a long shot? That's your that's your long shot right there. All right, let's get into the NBA. Like I said, there were a bunch of Game 7s. Obviously, hockey really ruled the weekend. But moving forward into Round 2, we'll see if maybe the NBA can become the more exciting league, which they clearly are not right now. Um, Saturday night. Saturday night, in the middle of May, you have... The NHL playoffs, you got baseball, and there's no NBA. Terrible job by the schedule makers. Terrible job. And I get it. They wanted their game sevens on Sunday, but no basketball in the middle of May for the NBA at all. There wasn't a game on at all. And you can tell me that things break differently and it's a bad situation because, you know, they got unlucky. No, no, no. Saturday night in the middle of May and you don't have the NBA on. I mean, that's terrible. That's, that's absolutely terrible. And you could go back and say, well, it would have been a Game 7, or or had it not, they could have worked. No, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter why. You're a schedule maker. These schedule makers probably make more than my house costs, okay? I mean, these guys are making good good coin to make the schedules, and, and especially with the TV ratings and everything. Saturday night in the middle of May, you don't have you don't have an NBA playoff game on? None? Not one playoff game? Completely devoid and absent. That was terrible. Now, on Sunday... Yeah, it was just as terrible because we did have two games, but but they were both giant, massive, insane blowouts. Massive, insane blowouts, right? The Celtics beat the Bucks 109-81 in a game that was not even that close. I, I mean, th- this game was, was just god-awful to watch. And when you look at it, look, Giannis is still the best player on the planet. Giannis, I just... I don't know if I've ever seen a worse game from him. I can't recall a worse game from Giannis in his career. I don't remember it. So he was miserable. And he came out in the first quarter and he looked good. And they they had a six-point lead. And after that, he couldn't hit water if he fell out of a boat. Now he got his 20 rebounds. He looked good. Okay, there. But come on. He looked terrible. Looked terrible. He go, hey, he got 25 points. Look, it was it was a week 25. He was missing everything. There was a play where he went inside and kind of went off the backboard and railed it. I mean, it looked like like an eight-year-old banging it off the backboard in just a shot. That he said, what are you doing? You weren't even close. You, were, you weren't even in the picture right there. Horrendous job. 
Now, I want to give a lot of credit to Jason Tatum, who has hit that superstardom mode now. Now that he's going to the Eastern Conference Championship, that's for sure. Dallas Suns, just as bad. 33-point win. The Dallas Mavericks were the underdog in that game. I told you to take Dallas in that game. I told you I kind of like Dallas in the series. Luka was unstoppable again, 35-10-4. Luka was unstoppable, but it's the defense, and I kept harping on how good this defense by the Mavericks were. We don't give enough credit to what the Mavericks did in round one. The Utah Jazz are a punchline now. Well, they can't make it out of their first round. Oh, they're not a good playoff team. Oh, they're a great regular season team. But but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. They were still the number one scoring offense in the NBA. And the Dallas Mavericks shut them down. Not only did the Dallas Mavericks shut them down, the Dallas Mavericks humiliated this team. A team with the number one offense in the NBA. They were humiliated in a crucial, it was a 2-2 series number, crucial game five. The Jazz put up 77 in a go-home game on their own floor. The Jazz put up 96. Now, we thought, okay, well, it was just the Jazz. It's a little bit fluky. All right, no problem. The last three games against the Suns, not even, last five games. Look, the first two games, the Suns went out, put up 121 and 129. And we all said, okay, Dallas' defense isn't that good. Here we go. Then Dallas shut them down to 94-101 in a loss 110. 86 and 90. Chris Paul looked as bad as I've ever seen Chris Paul look. And I used to do post game show for the LA Clippers, and I watched Chris Paul for a long time, and I've called him on the air a loser. And I, it, it's nothing offensive, Paul. Sorry, uh, it's nothing that you've ever done personally to me. But when losing follows you, then losing follows the team, and that's who he's been. He looked. Terrible turnover after turnover after turnover in this series. And here we go now. Now we go on to round two, and round two comes up. And what do you know? The Heat and Celtics in game one, well, the Celtics are still pretty good favorites for the series. But in game one, the Heat were one-and-a-half-point favorites. Think that the lines makers knew something? The Celtics were without two players in that game. The Heat come out. They won. They won pretty big. Uh, They were in full control. Game one, Warriors-Mavericks. Warriors come out as a six-point favorite. The Mavericks in the series are, are down huge, more than two-to-one odds. No one's giving Dallas credit again. I'll give you this. Look, the Warriors' defense is fantastic. And I picked the Warriors before the year began to win it all. I picked the Warriors before the playoffs began to win it all. And I, I still can't imagine a team beating them. But right now, the Mavericks are just that absolute dynamic defensive team. This is not a fluky situation. This isn't a Dallas Mavericks team that is kind of good. No, they are dominating teams. They are beating teams up and beating them down. The Dallas Mavericks defense is fantastic. And I'm not even making anything out of the first couple of games. I'm not. Look, one thing we've learned about this Dallas Mavericks team is they can have kind of bad nights here and there. But they don't care. They recover. Against the Jazz, game one, they lost. Against the Suns, game one, they lost. Game one and two, they lost. Their defense gave up 121-129 in the first two games and then clamped down. So the Warriors represent a different kind of team. You can call it the Splash Brothers or now the Splash Trio with Jordan Poole. You can say that they this is a team that's playing from the outside and the Suns were kind of, but, but it doesn't matter. The Suns were one of the best. The Utah Jazz were the best offensive team in the league. The Suns were one of the best offensive teams in the league. The Warriors come in as one of the best offensive teams in the league. But here's the thing. 
while the Jazz didn't have a lot of defense, the Suns certainly did. The Suns had an argument to be called the best defensive team in the league. The Warriors had an argument to be one of the best defensive teams in the league. Mavericks want to play a game like that. And in every single game in this series, I fully expect the Mavericks to be getting points. Points with a good defensive team in a game that should be played to a defensive stronghold is always attractive to me. And we're going to get the conversation about Luka and Curry, and it's going to go down to, you know, who is that guy and who do you choose and who do you trust? And look, Luka's phenomenal. I don't have to elaborate on Luka, but my thing is the defense, and I'm going to keep harping on the defense here. Total in game one was 214.5. I expect that to go down over the course of the series. I still think that people don't understand how good this Dallas Mavericks defense can be and has been this playoff season, which has been phenomenal. It's been phenomenal. There's no other way to go around it. Now, overall, I do want to talk about Chris Paul a little bit more in depth because I see that the Suns, and I I told you guys during what are the odds, I see that the Suns are still getting a a good number of odds. Look, a 64-win team with 32 wins at home, 32-9 and at home, you've got to say, yeah, of course. (laughs) Of course you have to kind of give them decent odds. But we've seen it happen to many athletes before where they just hit a wall. We've watched it happen to the greats of the greats. They just hit a wall. I don't know if CP3 hit a wall. And I've been called a CP3 hater. And the only reason I, I, I get that moniker of being a hater is because he's never won. And I think that if you're a team leader and you're one of the top five best point guards of all time, and that's been the, the recent argument, you've got to win. And the guy's never won. He's never won. And it's game sevens that he comes up his smallest. Ten points in game seven. He comes up tiny in game sevens. So now you're going to go out there and you're going to go bank on a Suns team that may lose DA. They they probably will lose that, that key piece of their team. You're hoping that Devin Booker is able to maintain. And you're hoping that Chris Paul has one more year left. You're hoping, right? Guys, Devin Booker is the ascending star. Everyone's like, oh, you yeah, know, he, he's the ascending star. And he is. He's going to be 26 years old during next year. But can we really understand that he was number two to Chris Paul all year long? And Chris Paul is 37 years old? 37 years old, guys. You can hit a wall. The turnovers are what really shocks me about Chris Paul. As much as he has choked, and yeah, he's choked, as much as he has not been the guy in many instances, he he wasn't making mental mistakes. Well, the turnovers are mental mistakes. I mean, the turnovers were atrocious in this series. Terrible. So I don't know what Chris Paul's legacy is, but I can tell you what the Phoenix Suns' legacy is, and I think they're going to fall off the cliff pretty hard. They're not going to go from 64 wins to not making the playoffs, but you're in a tough West. So if they go from 64 wins to 54 wins, that's a 10-game slide. That's pretty substantial. And 54 wins gets you right around where the Dallas Mavericks were. And I don't know if you can ever expect the Phoenix Suns during this kind of team foundation and what they're going to lose and who they... Can you expect the Phoenix Suns to climb back to the mountaintop? I certainly can't. I can't. Not at these prices. No way. No way. You know, so they're the exited team. Meanwhile, I look at Milwaukee and I go, at 7-1 to one odds, I think they're going to be right back there. I'm not making a bigger deal out of Chris Middleton than what he is. He is a good number two. 
okay? I, I'm not one of these people that think that Chris Middleton is really the heart and soul of that team. I'm not one of these people that think that Chris Middleton is a top 25 player in the NBA. No, he is a solid number two. But when you look at the Milwaukee Bucks, and the Milwaukee Bucks just went to a game seven, after what they did last year, okay, you got you can't take away that the same basic team stuck together. And after what they did last year, they just went to a game seven without their number two. No one's going to argue that Chris Middleton didn't have an impact. So the people that are going, uh, you know what, if Chris Middleton was there, do they win? I think they do. I think they get by, by the Celtics. And this is to take nothing away from a tremendous Celtics team. But you add Chris Middleton and you went to game seven and these games were, were nip and tuck. Look, if Giannis has a bad game like he did, they're not going to win anyway. I mean, Giannis just can't crumble the way that he did. And he certainly crumbled. But the Chris Middleton conversation is one that we, we certainly need to have. Because I think that Chris Middleton being there, or not being there, I should say, was a massive impact. A massive impact. As far as the Nuggets go, you know, the Warriors dispatched to the Nuggets, um, you know, and then the Grizzlies. The Nuggets, we know what they are. I just read the numbers. They'll still be good. Jokic, he's not going away. Joker's not going anywhere, okay? He's still going to be good. But the Memphis Grizzlies is interesting to me because nobody buys into them. Nobody believed into them during the season. Nobody bought into them in the playoffs. Nobody bought into them each game of the playoffs. Nobody buy, is buying into them for 2023, according to the numbers I just gave you. They did win two games against the Warriors. They did lose a game against the Warriors by a point. They did lose another game by the Warriors by three points. They're not getting any love. Nothing at all. And, and that's kind of kind of a, a head-scratcher a little bit, right? They're not getting any, 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 any recognition at all going into next season. I can't say I argue. <laughs> I can't say I disagree with them. I really can't. And then we get to the big kind of elephant in the room, and that is the Philadelphia 76ers. What do you do with this team? Immediately after Boston kind of dispatched the Sixers, the questions arose, what do you do with this team? And I don't think that there's much that you can do with this team. And there are certainly people that are going to go out there and say, shake it up and do that. I don't know what you can do with this team because you have locked in guys. I don't know if you could let James Harden go. I don't want to sign him. If I'm Philadelphia, I don't want to sign him to a max deal. I don't want to look at James Harden and say, yeah, you're going to be the max deal guy. But if you lose James Harden, what do you have on that team? I, I think Maxi can be a player. But you have what you saw when Embiid was out, which is a shell of a team. And you have to look at Embiid and say, I can never count on you to be healthy. Embiid's a good player. And by a lot of accounts, it's not his fault. But I can never count on this guy to be healthy. Finger, orbital bone, it's a million little things, but it, these things matter. So Embiid's your guy, and you're rolling with him, and you feel good about Maxi. But if you bring back James Harden, is he the difference maker in the East to take you past the round that you went to? I certainly don't think so. But if you lose James Harden, are you suddenly a better team? If you lose James Harden, and the Sixers don't bring him back, do you think you're getting any further? You know, the 76ers have to look at their situation and their team structure, and they have to start kind of staring at themselves in the mirror and having that good, honest talk and saying to themselves, you know, I don't know if we're ever going to get back here. I don't know if this team can ever get back. So maybe they make big-time changes, but I don't think so. I don't see them changing coaches. I don't see them changing GMs. I think they do bring back Harden probably on that max deal. And I think when all is said and done, we're going to be sitting in a very similar situation next playoff season. Embiid has a great year. 
Embiid's banged up during the playoffs, maybe even during the year. James Harden has to kind of reinvent himself to be this facilitator and this passer. And the 76ers maybe win around and then get knocked out. There is a ceiling for the Sixers team. And unless you shake this thing up massively, or unless Maxi grows to heights that we just uh, are mind-boggled at, un- unless that happens, they're going to be in a lot of trouble. The future looks bleak for the Philadelphia 76ers when you really break it down. Speaking of the future, now let's go back to the future. We're sending you back to the future. Okay, all right. Bet to the future. All right, guys, I have the odds for NFL opening day. Yeah, the schedule's released, so we have week one odds out. Buffalo and the Rams are going to be the Thursday night game. That game is a pick in L.A. Baltimore will visit the New York Jets. Jets are plus five there. New Orleans at Atlanta. Atlanta is plus four and a half. Miami will be the home team against New England. New England's getting three points. Cleveland, Carolina in Carolina, plus four and a half for the home team there. Pittsburgh at Cincinnati. Cincinnati's minus nearly a touchdown, minus six and a half at home. San Francisco at Chicago, the Bears plus six and a half. Philly at Detroit, Detroit's plus four and a half. Indy at Houston, Houston's plus eight points. Jacksonville at Washington, Washington's minus three and a half at home. Kansas City, Arizona, Arizona's the three-point home underdog. Las Vegas at the Chargers, minus three and a half for the Bolts. Green Bay, Minnesota, Minnesota plus two. Giants, Tennessee, Tennessee is minus six and a half. Tampa Bay at Dallas, Dallas plus two at home. Denver and Seattle closes out week one with Seattle a four-point underdog against Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos. And that is Bet to the Future. Yeah, guys, it it is interesting. Um, We are sitting back and talking about uh, the NFL, and I wanted to get into the week one lines and kind of what sticks out. There's a philosophy among sports bettors out there and sports handicappers out there, professionals and whatnot, that if you jump on a line early, it's a great situation because you could get closing line value. And there's a lot of conversation in the business about CLV and closing line value and when you jump on. Um, I always say, look, my philosophy, and I've talked to you guys about this for years on all of these networks, everything I've always said is either get in really early or get in really late. I don't like that in between. So you're either jumping in and early on a number that you think is going to drastically change. You're jumping in on a number that you think, okay, well, you know what? That's not going to stay where it is. I better get the value early on. And you're reading the tea leaves and reading the public and betting against the number that you really think you're going for. Or you go out there and you bet really late. You wait for all of the injuries to come up. You wait for the final rosters to come down. You wait for kind of the ebbs and flows of spring training or summer camp and whatnot, you let that all sort of settle down, and then you go out there and you jump on that late. So I'm still there with futures plays with that, and I'm certainly there for week one in the NFL. When the numbers came out just a couple of days ago, there are some games that I went, okay, let's look at this. Let's see where this line's going to go. Let's see how much of an impact it's going to be. Can I jump on something early? If I don't jump on it early... I expect to be betting Sunday morning the day, well, Thursday for the Thursday night game, but Sunday morning the day of week one. That's where I expect to be betting. I'm not going to be betting any of these games in the middle of July. I'm not going to do that. I need to see all the information or, boom, jumping on something where I'm pretty sure I'm going to understand the public. So that's my take on week one. It's a lot of fun to talk about. It's good to look down the road. But we're 110-plus days 
until the NFL season. There's a lot that can happen in 100-plus days. But if you believe fully that a line is going to change and a line is going to move because of what we're talking about, well, then jump on it early and jump on it when you need to. That is certainly the structure that you get to. Now, let's really kind of dig in here and see, can we find any of that? Can we find any of these situations where I do believe, hey, there might be some value? First of all, underdogs early on in every season always work out. Against the ATS, the last five years, underdogs early in the season, that's the first four weeks of the season, have covered and covered very big. On opening day, usually underdogs cover big. So most of the time, the sports betting apps and the sports betting markets, they're going to make sure that week one is going to be as close as possible. In this week one of this schedule, only one line is basically a touchdown or more. There are 10 games with home underdogs. 10 games, guys. Okay? So there's a lot of intrigue. 10 games. We also have a situation here where there's nine week one games that are going to play in that 1 o'clock p.m. Eastern time slot on Sunday. So, you know, the red zone, they have their, their you know, their, let's go to the Octo Box, by the way. Great stuff, right? You got to love the Octo Box. Uh, not going to be enough. You're going to need, uh, I don't even know, what what is nine? Is it nine-o box, right? You're going to need an Octo Box plus one to get that done because you do have so many early games. With so many early games, you have a lot of opportunities. So let's go take a look. Well, we'll start with the Thursday night game here, the Thursday night game, Buffalo against the Rams. This is basically a pick 'em. Now, you can find it different places, by the way, over-unders set at 52. I've seen it at minus one here, a plus one there, but basically it's a pick 'em game. And here we go. Look, this is the Super Bowl a lot of people believe that we were going to get. We thought, well, if Josh Allen would have gotten overtime, this is basically the Super Bowl that we certainly could have gotten. And most people believe that the Buffalo Bills are going to take the next step. The Buffalo Bills are tied right now for the lowest odds right now to go out there and win the Super Bowl. The Rams, well, here's the team. They are the defending champs. They went out. They spent a ton. They mortgaged their future. They went out. They got Stafford. They looked really good. And a lot of the guys are still coming back. When you include that Cam Akers, oh, by the way, was injured and he's going to have a full season under his belt this starts to kind of be a team that you go I think that they're a little undervalued and we talked about that in past shows where I think when you look at the Super Bowl odds they are a little bit undervalued but in week one in LA a pick'em game against Buffalo look my heart says that I think Buffalo comes to play and I definitely think that a lot of people are going to be on the over but I barely ever beat uh, bet the Thursday game because it's almost an unbeatable game it's a game where Look, this is a great matchup. It's a great TV matchup. That's most of the time, (laughs) it's a bad matchup to go out there and go bet on. So I'm not betting on that game at all. Now we go to Sunday and we go to the early games. Baltimore at the Jets. Here's a spot where I think that maybe you want to jump on this if you want to jump on this early. The New York Jets are only getting four and a half points. And I get that it's at home. But Baltimore is going to start to get camp buzz. Right around August 1st, you're going to start to hear the camp buzz because Baltimore had more injuries last year than anyone else in the last decade plus. They were a injury-riddled mess. Guys like J.K. Dobbins, guys like Edwards are coming back. They are a mess injury-wise. They were last year. Now they're getting healthy. As the health reports start coming out, oh, this guy's healthy and this is good. I expect this line to go up because people love betting against the Jets. And why not? I mean, people like to bet against the Jets. Look, they went 4-13 and last year, but they actually weren't terrible against the spread, depending on where you're looking. Uh, they, they won 
plus two against the spread. So they are a decent team. I think that this line could get up to six. I think that if you want to bet Baltimore, you very potentially could bet it early. But here's the caveat. What if Dobbins isn't healthy? What if Edwards does look a little slowed? Now, all of a sudden, you made a bet and you're worried about that. Philadelphia, Detroit. Detroit's a three-and-a-half-point underdog. Total is 46. Look, the Lions were a fun team last year. They were surprising. Detroit went 11-6 and six against the spread, so they covered games because everybody thought they were going to be awful. Well, here's the game that I'm circling because the Philadelphia Eagles are now all of a sudden getting a lot of momentum. And the Detroit Lions are still the Detroit Lions. You're getting the A.J. Brown conversation. And Brown, you're going to watch Brown in camp and Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard. You're going to watch all this going out there. And then you're going to start to see Jalen Hurts getting a lot. And when people start picking their fantasy team, Wow, Jay Leonard, oh, look at all the weapons. I expect this line to certainly go up. I know Detroit's at home, and they do have some weapons, right? They drafted Jamison Williams. DJ Chark comes over. They do have more weapons than they have last year, but they're still the Detroit Lions, and in people's minds, in the public's minds, they're the Lions. Philadelphia might be a Super Bowl contender. This line is not going to stay at three and a half. Pittsburgh, Cincinnati. We look at this, and I go, Cincinnati should be about a six and a half point favorite. It's against a rookie quarterback, but I don't know. I mean, Pittsburgh is still Pittsburgh. They still have Mike Tomlin, who just doesn't lose. They still have a running game. They still have that dynamic, absolutely fantastic defense. And maybe it's going to be Mitch Trubisky out there. I actually expect that. I think Cincinnati is in play for the fu- the, the tumble, the fumble here. Um, maybe, I don't want to say not making the playoffs, but it wouldn't shock me if they don't make the playoffs this year. So I look at six and a half, and if I'm Pittsburgh, I'm praying I could find a seven out there. Uh, because I think that that could be a little bit rich. New Orleans, Atlanta, New Orleans minus four. Atlanta at home getting four points, getting more than a field goal. The over-under set at 42. Well, this isn't your old New Orleans Drew Brees against Matt Ryan and fling it all over the field. They both have new quarterbacks. They both have new uh, situations. They have both have new tenures, right? There's no Sean Payton there. There's no Drew Brees. There's no Matt Ryan. This is one of those I would stay very far away from. Just very far away from. I don't know what's coming in here. I don't know the coaches. I don't know the quarterbacks. Not today. Absolutely not. Jacksonville, Washington. Jaguars are getting only three and a half points. Now, they are on the road, so I kind of expected a little bit more, but I think that people are understanding, look, Washington is not that good. Now, Carson Wentz gets a lot more heat than he probably should. By the way, the over-under is 44 and a half here. People are expecting a defensive battle. Jacksonville defense isn't very good, and I think we're going to know very early on, probably during this game, If Urban Meyer was such a detriment to Trevor Lawrence or if Trevor Lawrence is going to take that next step up or is he going to be kind of a a questionable quarterback? I think we're going to know right away. But one thing with Jacksonville, I'm waiting for a lot of these injury reports. James Robinson went down last year and usually that's a, a big time injury that takes a long time to kind of recover for. Travis Etienne is going to step in. He's coming back from an injury as well. When those camp reports start coming out that they're looking explosive or they're looking good or they're not looking good, this should shift this line as well. San Francisco, Chicago, Bears six and a half point underdog at home. Well, for San Francisco, who's starting this game? Right? And you say the same thing about the over-under that's sitting at 42.5. Who's starting this game? Bears have a new head coach. We know that. right? And we know Justin Fields is going to be in there. We know that they've scaled back their roster. They got rid of a team leader in Khalil Mack. They still have Roquan Smith on the defensive side. Uh, They still have Jalen Johnson on the defensive side. But overall, this is going to be about Justin Fields and the development of him. But with San Francisco, it all comes down to who is going to start. It's either going to be Jimmy G, which you feel comfortable. You know what you're going to get out of Garoppolo. You know what what's going to be. He's healing from off-season shoulder surgery, though. Again, we're going to be looking at the reports of him. 
and then Trey Lance, who there's rumblings that San Francisco internally do not feel comfortable with Trey Lance, and that's why they won't trade Jimmy Garoppolo, because they don't think he's ready for the big time. There's also the Samuel news. You know, he's unhappy. Do Does he maybe get traded. Maybe he holds out. I don't think you could bet this game at all. With Jimmy G's shoulder problems, with Trey Lance, and we don't know about him, with Debo, and maybe he doesn't play, maybe he holds out. You can't bet this game at all. Indianapolis, Houston, spreads a pick them right now. And Houston is a team that you look at and you go, you know, wait, why is this this number? Oh, well, there's a lot of question marks, and there's a lot of question marks. If you look on the money line, it's going to eventually be, because this game was kind of pulled off the board as a, as a quote-unquote pick em. Indianapolis is going to be about three-point favorite, like I said uh, in my last segment. It's going to be around there. Matt Ryan comes in. I think Matt Ryan is better than Carson Wentz, but I don't know if Matt Ryan gives this team kind of that oomph and that that edge. They're still going to run the ball. They're still going to do that. Now, the Texans over here, okay, they got Lovey Smith as their new head coach. You know he can coach some defense. They lose to Sean Watson, but Davis Mills looked good last season, and I expect this line to go up. You're going here with the Indianapolis Colts. I think this gets to a touchdown or more. I really do. I think this, this kind of skyrockets. So if you can get I know certain books out there are doing certain things. If you can get Houston for anything less than a touchdown, it might be worth it. Look, it's in Houston. It's a new quarterback for Indy. It's a new defensive coordinator for Indy. I kind of like the points there. New England, Miami. Miami's a three-point favorite, three-and-a-half when you go out there and search. And you look at this New England team. All right. I thought they were making good growth spurts last year. I like their running back situation. I like their defense. Who doesn't like their defense? A lot of the questions are going to be on Mac Jones. Same thing with Miami Dolphins. Two is going to be the question. Sure, you can bring in Tyreek Hill, but we all saw the video of the fluttering pass to Tyreek. No one's giving the Miami Dolphins a lot of credit. But look at Miami. They are a three-and-a-half-point favorite at home. Now, you could say that they always give the New England Patriots trouble down in Miami. They do. And the Miami Dolphins are one of the best home teams in the history, the best home team in the history of the sport at week one. We get that. But you still are giving Bill Belichick time to prepare here. You're still giving Bill Belichick an entire offseason. The Patriots also have new quarterback combo, Mac Jones, to Devontae Parker, who, oh, by the way, used to play for Miami. I'm shocked that Bill's getting three and a half here. I think that this is going to settle more at three, maybe even two and a half by the time this goes off. Cleveland and the Panthers, one of the more interesting lines that you just cannot bet. It's four and a half in favor of Cleveland on the road. 43 is the over-under. I don't know if Deshaun's playing. They paid him $200 million. He's the future of their team. We get that. But we don't know if he's playing. So you can't do that. Now, Sam Darnold is going to be the starter for Carolina. But I don't know if, what if Matt Carroll comes out and has a great situation? What, What if maybe Baker Mayfield winds up on their team? Quarterback controversies that are sitting here in May. You cannot bet this game. Not here in May. No way. Going to the 4 o'clock games, Green Bay and Minnesota. Well, we know Green Bay lost a big weapon and a big toy. They are still one-and-a-half point favorites on the road in the division rivalry. 49 is the over-under. We look at this again. Aaron Rodgers, MVP. He's probably going to put up another MVP-type season, but he did lose Devontae Adams. We understand that. This is now transitioning into a running game anyway with Jones and Dillon. What I think people are forgetting is that Minnesota was missing two of their interior linemen last year. This is still Dalvin Cook's team. He's going to run it a lot. Jefferson's still there. Kirk Cousins is still there. This is still a situation where the Green Bay Packers, Matt LaFleur has won 39 of his last 49 starts as head coach. The guy wins in the regular season, but Minnesota is at home in a divisional rivalry game, plus points. That's a a sports better's dream most of the time. Giants, Tennessee. Giants are getting nearly a touchdown, six and a half. Maybe seven where you're looking. Over-under is 44. 
Tennessee, they're missing A.J. Brown. There's a shakeup with Tannehill. He doesn't want to you know, help anybody out. They're still a defensive team. This one should be real low scoring. I think 44 is the number that you're looking at if you want to jump on that. As the year develops and as we start to hear conversations about, well, the Giants' defense looks really good, and all of a sudden the Giants' D is, is revamped, I think that this line might go down, and we might sit there at about a 42 Raiders, Chargers, Raiders are getting four points on the road. 51 and a half is there. Like I just said, I mentioned defense. Herbert's going to be the conversation. Eckler's going to be the conversation. Williams is going to be the conversation. Allen's going to be the conversation. But the real conversation should be the idea that Khalil Mack is going to pair with Bosa and Derwin James. I think the Chargers' defense is going to be phenomenal this year. The Raiders, they had a good year. They had an interim head coach. They had all kinds of problems. Guys are getting thrown off their team. All sorts of stuff are going on. They added Chandler Jones to this team. They they added Bilal Nichols to this team. They added Demarcus Robinson to this team. Getting no respect here. Getting four points. Kansas City, Arizona. Arizona's a three-point underdog at home. Over-unders 53. Patrick Mahomes lost Tyreek Hill. Okay? And he is more than just a player. They're trying to replace him with Marquez Valdez-Scanling and Juju Smith-Schuster. On paper, they can do certain things. And I think they'll be okay. But they're not Tyreek who changes the defense and changes everything that they imagine. The Arizona Cardinals, well, Kyler Murray was unhappy this offseason. Oh, he, he, he pulled the millennial move. Pull everybody off Twitter. Oh, yeah, I'm not following you anymore. They were they were that team last year. But what happened? Well, you know, Hopkins got suspended for six games. Maybe they knew, maybe they didn't. But they made a trade for Brown, who was Kyler Murray's friend. I think Arizona's offense is still going to be pretty good. I think that they did lose some with Chase Edmonds, of course. They did lose Chandler Jones as well. And those losses might not be as record-breaking and, oh my goodness, and eye-popping as Tyreek Hill losing Kansas, leaving Kansas City, but I think they are impactful. Plus, I think because Tyreek Hill goes, I think Magic Mahomes kind of wants to show, look, I am better than what they are. By the way, the Chiefs, they were terrible last year against the spread. Absolutely terrible. 4-15 uh, and 15 against the spread the last 19 games. That is not a good look. Here's a situation where you got to look, what are they from last year? Well, it's only three points, but it is three points on the road. And then, Finally, on that Sunday night, Tampa Bay, Dallas, Tampa Bay's two-and-a-half-point favorite. Tom Brady, his retirement lasted about 40 days. Dallas is at home. Look, Dallas lost a lot. We're going to talk about Tampa Bay, and we're going to talk about what they lost, but they are bringing back Fournette. I know that Chris Godwin's coming back from an injury, but they are bringing back a healthy Evans. Gronk, we don't know. We think so, but Tom Brady's coming back. That defense is coming back with Lamont David and White in the middle. They are bringing back a ton of what they used to succeed. Dallas, they lost a lot. They lost a lot of receivers in Cooper. They lost a, a lot of offensive, I guess, flow. And you got Ezekiel Elliott that has just looked terrible recently. But Dallas had the best record against the NFL um, in the NFL against the spread last year, 13-5 and five when you include the playoffs. That's pretty interesting. The Bucs, they're always seemingly overvalued. This is a good line to jump on the Bucs under three because they will be the public favorite. Monday, Monday Night Football, last game, Denver, Seattle, and here it is. It's Russell Wilson going back home, going back to Seattle, and Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos will be four-point favorites over-under sitting there at 41.5. We know, prime time, you don't bet against Seattle. You don't bet against Seattle at home, no way, and you certainly don't bet against Seattle at home in prime time. But where I said the word Seattle, couldn't you just replace that with Russell Wilson and say you don't bet against Russell Wilson at home? You don't bet against Russell Wilson in primetime? Uh, yeah, look, this is going to be a massively hyped game. It really is. And Nathaniel Hackett taking over for Vince Faggio. We know Denver is going to be that that hot team. Everyone's going to be on top of him. If you like Seattle 
wait on this. Wait on this game. This is not staying as a four line. It wouldn't shock me if this gets to a touchdown. I think everyone is going to be all over Denver. You're going to start to see that Denver hype really, really pushing up over the course of the season. This is one of those spots where if you like Denver, you may as well jump on them now because you are flat out not going to get a better number than this. Everyone is down on Seattle. I'm down on Seattle. I think Seattle might have the worst record in the league. And the number is just going to go up as we continue to see the season go on. All right, guys, that's going to do it for me. I'm Tom Barton for Wagering Week. We'll be back, and you can bet on that. This has been a presentation of the Sports Garden Network. To be part of the show, call 1-855-4-GARTEN. That's 1-855-442-7386. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at Sports Garden. That's G-A-R-T-E-N. Get all your credible sports intelligence 24 hours a day by visiting us at sportsgarden.com. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.